Dear fellow redeemed, we briefly consider our reading from Acts chapter 2. What a day. I mean, you gotta, you got to imagine it. What a day. This was the festival, one of the three festivals where the Jewish people were all supposed to come to Jerusalem. They had been there nearly two months previously, many of them there at that Passover. That Passover, which the day before Passover started, the sun had mysteriously stopped shining for three hours in the middle of the afternoon. And the Passover, when they had to light their lamps as they were making the final preparations for the Passover, they had been there. They had felt the earthquake and then the sun started shining again. And now, 50 days later, here they are again. And what a day. It's the day when they, they celebrate the first of the harvest. They, the day that they would celebrate that God had provided the first of the harvest off the field. And he, as his promise to them, would continue to provide for them. A day when they would be reminded that their daily bread did not come from the, the job that they would do and the work that they would carry out, but that their daily bread came from the Lord himself. And at that first ingathering, shortly after the first fruits of the resurrection, at that first ingathering, there are all these people from across the Mediterranean. And again, Spectacular things happen. Spectacular things like this rushing of a violent wind that kind of makes you sit up and say, what was that? Spectacular things as this group of disciples at, what, nine in the morning, right about now, walks out and comes out of the upper room where they had been gathering for their worship service. And they've got fire hovering over their heads. But it's not burning them. And it's not burning up resembling the presence of God again, just as he had been there at the burning bush and not burning it up. But now that that Holy Spirit has been poured out in a visible way on God's people, that Holy Spirit has been shared and God makes himself visibly present as a reminder and to draw the people's attention to these disciples who are now walking amidst the crowd that had begun to gather. What a day. Everybody is there. Everybody from across the Mediterranean and all speaking these different languages. And as Peter gets up to speak, he could have chosen nearly any, any reading and any portion of God's word. But as he gets up to speak and the other disciples are scattered throughout the crowds and they are talking about what they have heard and what they have seen, and they're talking, and the people are coalescing into groups gathered around this person, man, woman, or child, talking about the wonders of God in their own native language. And then Peter gets up. The one who had denied Jesus. The one who had been restored. The one who had boldly proclaimed of his own effort that I will never deny you, I will never desert you, and if his own effort he had failed, but now God works through him. And God accomplishes the proclamation of what God wants to say. 
Because even with all the, the events of that day, the miraculous and the spectacular, even with all the miracles that were plainly evident, God isn't so much concerned about those. Those are the sideline. Those are preparatory to gather a crowd. What God is most concerned about is this prophecy from the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel. <laughs> yeah, Joel. And when Peter gets up to speak, when he says these things, he's really leading up to the main point, the very last portion. And this will happen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the point that he's driving toward. That salvation is found in no one else. That salvation is only found in this Jesus Christ. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that is, everyone who hears and the Spirit creates faith, will be saved. It's not a, a matter of our own doing and our own action. But it's all the lead up because Peter could have chosen any or at least many other Old Testament references and prophets for the basis of his sermon. It's all the lead up. This is what God says will happen in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And Peter picks this because he's seeing this prophecy fulfilled exactly on that day, that first Pentecost, that festival day, as he looks around. And the congregation that he had been gathered with in that upper room, numbering about 120 from Acts chapter 1, that congregation is now walking in the middle of a crowd of people from every nation and tribe and people and language of people whose perhaps ethnicities and languages and cultures and backgrounds and, and choices may have divided them into various disparate groups. They are now united through the proclamation of this word, through the proclamation of God speaking even through every of those congregation members. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That is to say, that each one would be a participant in some way in sharing the word of God. That word prophesy doesn't have to mean telling the future. It can simply mean telling what God has done. And Peter says, today's the day, look around. Do you see these groups as he's saying these words and he's pausing after each sentence for the translation to happen in all these other groups? He says, today's the day. What a day. And he goes on. This is the reason, I think the other major reason why he, why he chose this text for preaching. I will show signs and wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a rising cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And these same people who were gathered here for the festival of Pentecost, the festival of ingathering, these same people, many of them had been there at the festival of Passover 50 days previously. 
where the sun had been turned to darkness. And the moon at that time perhaps did have a quite blood-red appearance. Do you see what Peter is saying? He's saying that all this has happened and there's nothing else to wait for. There's nothing else that we need to be expecting because all of this has happened. We don't need to be wringing our hands and wondering what's the next turn in human history going to be because Peter tells us that we are in these last days. That's exactly where he started. This is what God says will happen in these last days. That the last days have begun at that first festival of Pentecost and everything has been fulfilled. That the signs and the wonders in the heaven above and the earth beneath, the proclamation and the prophesying by those in various tongues and languages, that has been accomplished. Because Jesus is the Lord of human history too. He wasn't a a victim of circumstance. He was the one who had had guided human history so that he would be born at just the right time and in just the right place. And he was the one who sets the timeline for human history, who at the very beginning had said, let there be, and there was, and who says that there's one event left, and that is his return. There's one event left. What a day. And we see that. And perhaps we see the nuts and bolts of the miracles of that day. The supernatural sounds and languages and the fire. We see the Holy Spirit being poured out in a special way on God's people as he, um, I guess the way I put it, he gives a jump start to his church and gives a new, new set of boldness to these Christians. And Peter tells us, he tells us, there's one event left. That of all the events that could happen between now and the end of the world, or the proposed you know, heat death of the universe in 4.5 billion years, that doesn't matter. Because there's one event left. And that's his return. Exactly as you saw him ascend into heaven, so also will he descend from heaven, visibly, body and soul, with the nail marks still visible in his victorious hands. There's one event left. And what a day. And we see this reading, and every now and then you get that that hope and that wish that just once, wouldn't it be nice to have a flame of fire on the head or at least some, some visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit? But that wasn't the point of that day. The same thing they were celebrating then is the same thing that we celebrate now. That Jesus still has kept his promise of sending his Holy Spirit to encourage and build up his church so that Christians can speak of his grace. What does that look like? It might be as simple as saying, hey, um, why don't you come for, for church? I hear on June 12th, that will be next Sunday, we're having pie and ice cream after the second service. And even if you don't know Jesus, I'm sure you know your opinions on pie and ice cream. I know mine. <laughs> and what a day to be able to talk with somebody who comes 
And even if it's just you saying, well, welcome to resurrection, and, um, and Jesus has brought us together here, and we gather around here to hear the word of our Savior, what a day. To be able to say to, to somebody else that I find joy and comfort here and certainty in a world that is incredibly uncertain and sometimes kind of scary. I have here the word of my Lord who holds all of history in his hands and his promise that of all the events that might happen between now and his return, none of them matter except for one, his return, and that you are ready for it. What a day to be called into his service at your baptism. To have his name placed on you. Not a, a tongue of fire, but a splash of water. To be called into his service and to be called as his child. And to be entrusted with the responsibility, obligation, authority, and encouragement. To be able to say, dear friend, I haven't seen you at church in a while. Come and celebrate with your Lord. To be able to say that despite all of the, the confusion of this world, that we have a Savior whose word still stands true and still provides comfort and still gives the forgiveness of sins. That your forgiveness is as sure and certain as Jesus on the cross and risen from the dead, and just as sure and certain as words striking the ear and water off the head. That when we look at Pentecost, it would be simple enough, and I would say even simplistic, <laughs> to say we wish that it were like that, and if only Jesus did a little bit of that today. A little bit of the, the, the sound of the wind and he'll do all the work of gathering the crowd and providing some proof that he is here, that God himself is present. But that would miss the point. Because you have the word of God. Because we have the word of God as something to look at together. As something to, to say, we've got this beautiful window of opportunity here at resurrection. We've got wonderful people <laughs> We've got a world of opportunity around us. We've got friends and family and neighbors who need this Jesus. What more could we do? Because the work, yes, is the Lord's work. But the proclamation is something that he has given to you and to me. What more could we do? Well, yes, it's the, it's the attitude that isn't wringing our hands and saying, man, if only we had what we used to have. But an attitude that says that this Jesus still sends his spirit to encourage his people. And it's the idea that, that God wants to use you at your particular place in life with the people that you uniquely have a relationship with or are, um, are friends with. That Jesus wants to use even your proclamation. And it doesn't have to be sitting down and having a coffee and saying, well, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It can be as simple as, come and see. Because our Lord still says that 
he does exactly what he did at Pentecost. There at Pentecost, as those thousands were baptized and brought into the faith, there God sent his spirit to do what he still does in holy baptism, to create faith and to strengthen faith and to provide a tangible recognition that our Lord continues to work through these tools. And there, in the proclamation that Peter preaches, and it's echoed and reverberated through the crowd, our Lord still does the exact same thing as he continues to work through the words of Christians today, where you can have a certainty that my Lord has forgiven me, and he's given me life and a purpose and an incredible opportunity with this congregation to say that we've got, we've got the proclamation of Jesus right here in our hands and our hearts. And what a day. What a day that that proclamation could be shared to one more. What a day. It doesn't have to take fire and wind or earth, wind, and fire if you're a musical fan. It doesn't have to take visible signs and wonders in the heavens above and on the earth below. Because Jesus still sends his spirit to do the actual work of Pentecost, which is to change hearts so that Christians are encouraged to speak, which is to change hearts so that even one more is brought out of slavery to sin and brought into the light of God's presence. This is what God says will happen in the last days. And Peter describes it all. And we're still in these last days, waiting for one more thing, the return of Jesus. And what a day. Amen. Amen.